Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora koutou katoa and welcome to the Extra Time Podcast. I'm Brenton Vinisroy and today I'm joined by RNZ's Rugby World Cup reporter Joe Porter and Sky Sport commentator Ricky Swinnell. This week we will dissect the All Black squad name for the World Cup, look ahead to the new Farah Palmer Cup season and hear from the new coach of the All Whites. But let us start with the 31 players Steve Hansen has named to represent New Zealand and Japan this year and Liam Squire's omission. There was, of course, some surprise when the Tasman flanker's name wasn't read out on Wednesday, but we now know through a post on Instagram that Squire didn't believe he was physically or mentally ready for the pressures of Test Rugby. Joe, starting with you, of course, you were in Auckland for the announcement. Was there some confusion then about Squire's non-selection? Yeah, there was. Of course, most of us expected Squire to be named after it was reported that he had made himself available for the World Cup. So when he was left out, there were questions about why. Hansen did confirm that he'd had a recent conversation with Liam Squire, of course, but what he wouldn't confirm is exactly the nature of it. Now, I think it was more a case of Hansen perhaps not wording his answers as accurately as he could rather than trying to cause um, any sort of diversion. Uh, he said that they'd, they'd come to an agreement that he would be available as a replacement should they need one for the World Cup and was keen to go, which kind of left it open to interpretation that perhaps Hansen had decided not to pick him after all. But yeah, since since then, Liam Squire's come out and clarified that it was he himself who made himself unavailable for selection. He didn't quite feel he'd earned the right to wear that jersey at the World Cup, having not been available for most of this year. Would, would, would like to make himself available for as an injury replacement if he's playing well enough for Tasman, for the Marco and the Mitre 10 Cup. Um, and of course, basically said his mental health wasn't quite where he wanted, wanted it to be. And he was focusing on that for the moment and not rugby and not the Rugby World Cup. So a brave move from Liam Squire. Strong of him to come out and, and to admit that it is his mental health is his priority and that rugby comes second. And a good message, I think, from, a, from an All Black who has a, a large social media platform. Yeah, absolutely. Ricky, on that point, how significant do you think it is to have someone of Squire's standing saying his mental health is more important than rugby right now? Massive. I mean, you know, the All Black jersey is something that nobody who is even in the frame of doing that takes lightly. So to be able to say, no, I'm not ready to compete and put myself in, under that sort of pressure and at that level is, is incredible. And clearly there's there's much more to this, whatever Liam Squire is going through. That really is is nobody else's business. And I think from heard the All Blacks have, have very much looked after him in that sense and, and perhaps yeah, Joe's right at that that's why it got a little bit muddled and trying to make sure that yes. they were putting Squire's best interest that, it, yeah. that, that the message got a little bit mixed up but you know I think he, he's made a, a big call, a bold call um, and, and you know haven't we talked this week, it's been in the news about our, our, our terrible suicide rates, the issue particularly a lot of, a lot of young men, a lot of rural men um, suffer so to have Liam Squire be like that is, is, is really bold and I think we, could, we should thank him for that. 
Absolutely. Here's the archetypal Kiwi bloke. Yeah. He's, he's a big correct. a big unit, plays for the All Blacks, hunting and fishing and lives in, in rural South Island. So, I mean, he really, you couldn't find a harder Kiwi bushman in a way. So for him <laughs> to come out and set this example, I think, like you say, is massive. Yeah, obviously it's hard because, you know, a guy like him is obviously reluctant to come yes. forward and talk about this. It's been incredibly difficult for a guy like him. Yeah, he mentioned in, his, in the post on Instagram that he's not one to talk much publicly, so it must have been very hard for him to even make this post and so very brave move by Liam Squire and obviously it's great that he's getting all the support uh, that he needs while playing for the Tasman yeah. Marco of course uh, the, the big one on Wednesday though was Owen Franks missing out mm. 108 test prop for the All Blacks Joe did, did you see this one coming? No, I didn't, and I'm not. I'm not going to try and pretend I'm an expert on the, the scrummaging ins and arts and the dark arts of the Type Five. But I simply thought I, I, he he was lacking some of the game that the All Blacks coaches had asked from the props. You know, you look at that Bledisloe Cup loss in Perth. I think between him and Joe Moody, they carried the ball once between them. You look at the Australian props who played out of their skins that game. They carried the ball about five times each. They were everywhere and taking a lot of pressure off their loose forwards in terms of ball carrying. So, I think perhaps the game has moved on somewhat from the strengths that Owen Franks brings but look 108 test caps two World Cup victories to his name a calmness an incredible scrummager a guy that you thought perhaps was just having that him in the environment even if he didn't play would be really really good for some of these guys that haven't been there and dealt with that kind of pressure before but uh, a big call from coach Steve Hansen and and one that uh, you have to get behind at this point I suggest and I, a big call Owen Franks has taken it really well he's he's really stepped up yeah. I think and been and been incredibly um, tactile and incredibly humble and, and what's the word I'm looking for I can't quite find it right, right now and his emission and uh, should be commended for that but yeah a big call not one that I saw coming but some other people had seen it that perhaps Owen Franks had slipped a little bit off the radar he didn't have the best super rugby season perhaps there were sort of writing on the wall a little bit there but like I said I thought just his his, his leadership his, his presence in that environment was enough to get him in but clearly not quite I, I guess it was kind of signalled when he was dropped for the Bledisloe Cup test, but mm. I, like I was a bit the same. That okay, yeah, they dropped him for that, and they've done that at times where they've given guys a bit of a rocket, and and he still would have been picked. Um, so that, I guess that was the, the surprising side, and it's very, um, it's a bit of a departure for these selectors and these coaches. They're incredibly loyal to guys yes. that they trust that have been around a long time. That's why you're seeing Ryan Crotty, you know, um, coming in after no rugby, Sonny Bill Williams, the same, Brody Retallick, while they're going to let him go. I mean, he's such a vital player, but go that long. So they are very loyal to the to the guys that have done a job for them. And so that's why it's a big call. But look, I, yeah, to me, the, the difference, one of the things that the All Blacks have always had over other teams is the skill set of the type four. Mm, mm, mm. You've got... Guys like Dane Coles and, and many others throughout the years who can who can slip a ball, who can put a guy in space fast and all of that. And that's obviously maybe it's an area some teams have started to catch up in a little and that so that's where they want to push again with the guys like Molly and, and Ta'aval who are mobile and have got ball skills and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it, it, it is a shame um to see a guy like Owen Franks, hundred and eight tests, but this this the first time this happened, and, it, and, it's, and it's not the last. And so the rule, um, yes. And I don't think they're sacrificing the scrums for it either. I don't think it's a massive, a massive sacrifice. As someone said the day, you know, you might only have a game where there's two or three scrums, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and all of those guys do that, that that job well. So yeah, big, big bold call, and, and yeah, a bit of a departure for that coaching team. Yeah, and it's not like they're 
playing in the UK where some of the, the grounds are yeah. a lot soggier and you know, scrumming battles yeah, are a bit more important part uh, that the fast tracks we're going to get on in Japan uh, is probably going to suit maybe the more athletic ones. And unfortunately for Owen, maybe the game has passed him by a bit. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, you've probably got to look at how well Ofotonga Fassi's been playing as well. Um, there was probably just too many tight heads that were trying to squeeze into that into that squad, which may have well been un- Owen Frank's undoing as well. Look, I mean, I still think the games will be tight when it comes down to the quarterfinals and onwards. You know, you're not going to see massive scorelines, I wouldn't th- expect. No. I still think games will be tight and, and you know, the set piece will be incredibly important. But... Obviously, this new breed of prop in Atumuli and Gustavo offer to Angafasi a bit more mobile, a bit better with the ball in hand, offer just a little bit more all round around the park. And yeah, a big call that we will soon see or not if it's validated by the coaches. And the scrum, like the scrum didn't go backwards, did it? In nah, that second test in Australia, you know, Nipal Alala was really good. Yeah, notably, there was sort of no issues with the scrum. I mean, admittedly, against Aussie, who that's not their strongest area either at times, but. I thought that was that was key too at Eden Park, and maybe that was something that entered the decision. Yeah, they were driving that scrum back with seven men on the field, so you're probably right. Yeah. Anyone else, guys, that may consider themselves unlucky to have not made this 31? Well, you talk about well, Nani Laumapi, of course. You know, yeah. the obvious one in the midfield, just just one too many players there that couldn't be squeezed in. He's paid the price, I think, just for being a specialist second five, perhaps not having much game time at centre and just maybe a lack of experience. He really hasn't put a foot wrong in that black jersey, but you did see in that second Bledisloe Cup test at Eden Park just what Sonny Bill Williams means to this all-black team, his presence, his solidarity or his solidness on defence, his calmness on the field, his ability to read the game and draw always more than one defender with the ball in hand at every at every occasion and just his big match experience. It really did make a difference to that team, even if it wasn't necessarily palpable with what he did with the ball in hand. So I think that um, that game really did just solidify in everyone's minds how important he will be at the World Cup. And Nani Amapa, yeah, the, probably the most unfortunate loser. But he might get a yeah. chance. I mean, God, Ryan yeah. Crotty's Sunny, but one of them's got, probably going to fall over. So he's <laughs> likely going to be in Japan anyway. Well, like Jack, Jack Goodhue goes in, you know, he's had an injury as well. And I think, yeah. look, it's easy to forget, like Jack, Jack Goodhue's still a very new all-black. Anton Leonard Brown's still a young guy, admittedly, mm-hmm. who's played out of his skin for the last couple of seasons. So then if you'd thrown Lamapi into that mix, that's three relatively experienced midfielders so um and, and you know that the, they've often lent towards their more experience like we we're saying that was the surprise of the owen franks thing um and guys that they know that know can do a job and so yeah it, it was a case of you know five into four four not going um i mean look there's you think of the embarrassment of riches in reality when you've got when you can leave players like that and so many others they probably there's another 10 players that could have been named and put in that squad that would go and, and do a um, and they've got to get get that mix. I think. Look at Shannon Frizzell via Fafita now by the wayside, and Luke Jacobson mm. comes in to take that place of Lee and Squire. And I did um Waikato's game uh, last week when Luke Jacobson played fifty odd minutes, and he he was exceptional. He was so good for them, and he's a he's a big engine. He'll carry really hard. Good. He's a good guy. Good. Look, seems like a good team man as well. Um, and I think he's going to add a lot to that squad. Yeah, one of the future stars, no doubt, I think, yeah. of New Zealand rugby, Luke Jacobson. And what about Lucky? Are there players who should maybe think, well, I'm pretty lucky to have made this 31? I don't think you can ever consider any person that makes an All Blacks team lucky. I think you can only really have unlucky players, considering the depth of talent we have in this country and just how much it means to be an All Black. And given you're only a caretaker for that jersey, I don't think you can can be considered lucky. You've worked hard to get there in most cases, I would have thought. 
Um, so no, <laughs> I guess there aren't any lucky players. Everyone, I mean, the only the only one that might be considered an element of luck are the guys that are injured. But you need Retallick there. He's the best lock in the world, and you give him every opportunity to get right, even if it's only just for the final, in my opinion. So no, 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 no lucky players. Gamble, yeah, it is. That's it the is. gamble. No. It is a big call as Retallick. And I wonder if um, if Paddy Tuipulos, who hadn't played so well in, at Eden Park, if they would have gone with four locks and yeah. maybe, you know maybe changed things up. But I think with Patrick's form, perhaps they felt a little bit more at ease there. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the other things, like you talk about those guys with injury. Look, so Sonny Bill Williams, Ryan Crotty go in with very little rugby. Yeah. Scott Barrett's had very little rugby mm. because he had that injury and then got, got suspended. Richie Moonga, don't know if he's going to play against, against Tonga after that shoulder. Brody Retallick not playing to the quarterfinals. So it's hardly been a smooth build-up for them, has it, in, in comparison when you, when you think? We just need Byron um, Barrett to go down now. Yeah, yeah, and then really set everyone against into panic. Tonga. Yeah, that's right. That's what <laughs> imagine it. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it, Ricky? When you heard Brody Retallick not available till quarterfinals, what was yeah. going through? How big a concern should that be for us? Massive, I think. And and um, Jim Kay's actually. I was chatting with him the other day. He pointed out was it two thousand and seven? Keith Robinson quarterfinal after about fifty odd minutes of rugby, uh, all rugby all season, and we all know how how that went into. Yes. And seven, but I, I mean, it is a measure of retallic stature and standing within that team and in world rugby that they're going that much time. And I, I think he's a sort of guy who has shown that he can come and he gets back into things pretty quickly. Um, but gee, I saw him um, come off the field when he did it in Wellington and up the tunnel and the ambulance, and I thought, no way! I was like, oh god, he's gone. Um, so yeah, it, it, I think it's a measure of him that they will give him that much time and 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 to to get right and and be ready and hope that he can fire straight away. So injuries obviously a concern for this All Black side, but another is maybe the third first five. Obviously, only picking the two specialists and Bowden Barrett and Richie Moonga. Comfortable Joe with a TJ Perinara or Ryan Crotty or Geordie Barrett, as Steve Hansen mentioned, <laughs> filling in at first five? Oh, not terribly if it's a World Cup final, but I mean, it is, it is what it is. I, I, I'm more comfortable with that than Joshuani, to be perfectly honest, um, simply because they've been in those kind of settings before. And I think if it came to that, obviously it would probably be in the later stages or you know at the end of a match when you've lost both those guys. So it's kind of a, a pretty... You know, a rare thing, and it's going to be an on-the-cuff thing. And I think if you chucked one of those guys in there, the role would simplify a lot. You know, they would just be a distributor and looking to move it and kick it when they had to. I don't think they'd be trying to really do anything terribly exciting at first five. It would be a bit of a stopgap, like Pity Weepu, for example, in 2011. Mm. You know, so I'm not. I mean, I'm worried about it because there's no obvious third choice first five. Obviously, that's why I haven't picked one. So if those guys go down, there's there's a massive issue. However, I'm not terribly worried about the fact they haven't picked a backup third five, first five because I don't think there really is anyone. Yeah, Ricky, how do you feel about it? Amazing eh, how Damien McKenzie, yeah. and when he was playing at first five for the Chiefs, he was like, no, he's not a first five, he's a fullback. <laughs> how, now it's like, oh, God, I wish Damien McKenzie yeah. was there. But, you know, just how big of a deal that injury just and yeah. how that has had to reshape um, what they've done selection-wise. Look, I've, do you know what? It, those names, Crotty, um, Crotty Perinara and um, and Barrett, Geordie Barrett, were they're the if someone goes down at the eleventh hour kind of yes. thing. The reality is a ten hour flight to get Joshuani, uh, Joshuani over, and we only have to go eleven every time when we got down to dear old Stephen Donald and kicking them home. So, um, it, it, they, you know, you find way you find ways to win. So, it, not it's not ideal, um, but. It's, it is what it is. It can't can't be changed. So that's what they have to roll with. And you'd and you'd hope that 
well, one Joshuani gets some good game time for Otago. <laughs> Who doesn't, doesn't go down and injured in that time? Because <laughs> we have been there before when you need the whole the whole lot. Yeah, that's a good what if. What happens if Barrett, Moanga and Yuani go down? <laughs> Who, who's next cab off the rank? Do, they, do we start looking at Dan Carter and Stephen Donald? What are the possibilities? Steve's, well, they'll be over there. <laughs> um, is that, will Aaron Cruden suddenly sign yeah. a contract to come play Super Rugby? <laughs> it's, a, it's not a bad one because, I mean, you really start to think, who actually would they go with? Well, there was talk, wasn't there, that they'd reached out to Aaron Cruden to yes. try and get him back, of course, after Damien McKenzie went down. So <laughs> you'd be the obvious one, but then New Zealand Rugby would sort of have to break their rules, really, to bring him in, yeah. wouldn't they, to, to get him into the All Blacks? But I, that's a big what-if, 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 <laughs> isn't it, I think? Yeah. I think we're getting think a bit ahead of ourselves. Stage, you'd probably be looking at, at Perenara or Geordie Barrett. Yeah, I think more, you're right. More likely than, than maybe right. someone going around in Minor 10 Cup. Although in saying that, there's some, there's some guys in Minor 10 Cup, some 10s might have Cup who are in good form. Um, like I think like Fletcher Smith at Waikato again, kicking mm. goals up mm. the wazoo. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to do the worst job ever, are they? No, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah, well, just finally about the uh, All Black squad naming. Uh, Joe, obviously you were at the press conference, as I mentioned. Mind games from Steve Hansen, which he's seemingly yeah. started, heaping the pressure on everyone else, you know, declaring it one of the more open World Cups. And a lot of teams think they can win, but believing... That well, maybe they don't actually have it within them that they can win. Yeah, that was interesting. That was almost the first shot he fired at the press conference, the smiling assassin, Steve Hansen. He was in a good mood, and he, he did sort of quite revel on, I guess, the um, the occasion the other day. He didn't name names, but it was fairly obvious he was inferring England, Wales, and Ireland, of course, the teams he's talking about, not necessarily responding to the massive amounts of pressure that come with a World Cup and a World Cup final. New Zealand have been there and done that before, but what he was sort of alluding to is the fact that the All Blacks are expected to win every single game they play. And that pressure is consistent throughout any All Blacks career. So they're used to it. The World Cup, there's a little bit of added external pressure, but to them it's probably very much the same. And he's saying because we've had to deal with that year in, year out, that gives us an advantage over other teams who don't have as such big external expectations and aren't used to playing under so much pressure away from home. So I think he was taking a shot at Wales, taking a shot at Ireland and England, suggesting their records away from home in big tournaments hasn't been as good as it could be because they simply aren't used to coping with the pressure that comes with the massive tournaments. And it's a fair call. Well, the All Blacks have the weekend off, of course. Tonga next week in their final pre-Rugby World Cup tune-up in Hamilton. Joe Porter will be there for us for RNZ. But the world champion Black Ferns, they're back in action. Of course, the Farah Palmer Cup is kicking off this Saturday. Uh, Ricky, you're obviously going to be across this competition as you were last year. What do you expect Black Ferns coach Glenn Moore to be wanting from this year's competition? Well, I think uh, you know this board, is still I'm very much a premiership competition, and, and, and that, be that needs tighter, to be remembered at but times. But a step up in the competitiveness from some of the newer teams as well. He's had 19 players make their days, and they've come through largely through that competition, um, which is a massive number of players. And so you would expect those that have now done that have to go back and lead the way at their provinces to keep bringing through the development and, and the growth. Competition, but oh yeah, I think I think the premiership's going to be pretty tight this year. There's some good squads. There's Black Ferns scattered throughout all of them. Um, there's been a bit of player movement as well, which we're starting to see more now in the FPC, and I think that's a good thing. It means players go anywhere in the country and still be able to, you know, have if they work or family or whatever, but they can still. It's not to the detriment of their rugby. I think that makes a difference. Bay of Plenty have picked up a couple of good signings. A uh, new team coming in with Northland as well, and they've picked up a couple. of too so um yeah it'd be interesting i know um auckland's team to, to play this weekend that uh, all, all bar one i think of their black ferns are named to play and i was expecting 
they might have had a little bit more time off. Um, a couple of them are coming off the bench. But, yeah, the, the Black Ferns are generally getting straight back into it. It's really encouraging, isn't it, to have Northland back in, in the competition, just showing the continuing growth of the women's game. Yeah, oh, can, and can you imagine the talent? I mean, uh, up in the air, it's, it's so untapped. And um, so uh, Takuranata Aringamati is going up. That's where she's from. So she's gone back to Northland. And they've also got Victoria Sabritsky nafatali going there as well. Mm. So, um, you know, that's a couple of re- very key senior figures within women's rugby going up to play for them. And that, that's a massive deal. And the issue for Northland is um, catchment region is Kaitaia. They've got players that live in Kaitaia down as far as Wellsford. So um, I had a chat to their coach a couple of weeks back. They're only going to be able to have one full team training a week but just because the area is so vast and, and, you know, the resources and getting everybody there. So mm. that's really challenging. But, yeah, man, there, there'll be some, <laughs> some talent coming through, that's for sure. Well, thank you very much, Ricky. I know you're going to be very busy across the Farah Palmer Cup uh, all season long as well. And you can catch that, of course, on uh, Sky Sports. Uh, another national coach has been appointed this week with Danny Hay taking charge of the All Whites. Hay spoke to our football reporter, Clay Wilson. Most people say, do you miss playing? Actually, I, I, I don't. Funnily enough, it's the, the, the coaching for me has given me uh, a huge amount of huge amount of joy, and uh, and for me, this is this is the actual you know the top of the pile in terms of coaching national team team that I care about so much and want to see succeed. So it's it's very exciting and great opportunity. In terms of your ability to have success, mm. what does being a former player and being a Kiwi mean to you in this role? Yeah, well, I think that's massive because we we still really want to grow the game. And that's a big thing in the country. Yes, there's been huge growth over probably the last five, ten years in particular. But uh, I want to see I want to see success. I want to see the All Whites actually playing on a regular basis. I want to see uh, our All Whites become heroes amongst young, budding footballers. So uh, I think we're starting to develop players now, and we've got a crop um, of experienced ones, but also ones uh, younger ones that are starting to emerge that I think can do that if they're given the opportunity to. So it's exciting. What sort of feedback have you had? You've mentioned you've spoken to some former players, mm. some of the senior playing group. What sort of feedback have you had from those people? Yeah, look, it's, it's been uh, quite overwhelming in terms of uh, how, how positive it's been. So particularly former players, so a lot of those have already reached out. Uh, my phone's been going a little, uh, a little crazy, to be fair. So uh, I think they're just excited that there's now somebody in place that doesn't see our national team as a stepping stone. Um, somebody that genuinely cares about it, somebody that's passionate about it, uh, and somebody that understands what it means to, to play for the shirt. Have you had time to set some goals and objectives? Obviously there's a, a World Cup coming up a few yeah. years down the track. Is that sort of front of mind as you come into this role? Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that uh, there's, there's a lot of talk, or has been a lot of talk, about 2026. But uh, we've, got a, we've got a World Cup campaign prior to that and we're, we desperately want to get to, to Qatar in 2022. So it's now uh, getting the group together as often as we possibly can, um, You know, working with the organisation to fill the majority of windows, uh, FIFA windows, where we can get the playing group playing. Uh, and then start building towards that because I think, like I said, we've, we're, we're at a point now where we've got a really good mix of, of players that I think can, uh, can do something special on the international stage. I know last time the job came up you were asked about it and you said you just wanted to focus on the eastern suburbs mm. role. 
what's changed since then and how much has that success with Eastern Suburbs meant in terms of putting yourself forward now and getting the job? I don't think I was, was ready a couple of years ago. Uh, I think I needed to work uh, consistently in a, in a senior men's environment uh, and actually uh, prove probably to, to a lot of people as well as myself that I was very capable of being able to do that. Uh, I think I learnt a lot about myself over those last couple of, last couple of years. Uh, I think I've evolved massively as a coach uh, and I think I've shown that, uh, particularly in the National League, that young New Zealand players uh, are very, very capable and uh, I believe they're actually you know, capable, like I've said, of going onto the international stage and being able to replicate that. You All-Whites coach Danny Hay talking to Clay Wilson. That's it for Extra Time this week. Thanks, Ricky Swinnell and Joe Porter, for joining me, Brenton Vanisseroy, and thank you for listening. And don't forget, the Basketball World Cup starts this weekend, and our very own Matt Chatterton is in China to follow the Tall Blacks' progress. And for all the latest sports news from New Zealand and around the globe, go online to rnz.co.nz forward slash sport, and remember to follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.